Sunday. Happy Sunday. I love it. Turn to your second choice. Say happy Sunday. Well, I've got a frog in my throat. I've been trying to drown it all morning, so you'll have to endure. Is that all right? It's always painful listening to a speaker that, you know, they're kind of struggling with their throat, but that's all right. I will survive. I believe God is with me. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, type in the chat, I'm ready. We're going to get with it. We're in uh, John chapter 12, and I'm really excited about the story today. We're going to talk about the anointing at Bethany. And this is a short section of Scripture, but it is so powerful. And we're studying the book of John because John gives us some great tools to lead other people to Jesus. And we believe that as a church, our number one mission is to lead people to Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. And we also believe that we are to help disciple others to obey the commands of Jesus and follow in his ways. And so with every effort that we have and all of our resources, we move in that direction. So today, um, if you would, turn to John chapter 12, and uh, we're going to get started. Um, I want to begin today by asking you a question. What is a non-negotiable in your life? What is a non-negotiable in your life? Let's just talk about a daily non-negotiable. Anyone have, I've asked some people this week, what's a non-negotiable for you every day? And, and guess what I heard a lot of? Coffee. Anyone else? That's like a non-negotiable for your day. Give me some other non-negotiables. You can type it in the chat, but give me some non-negotiables. What do you have to have every day? What? Tea, all right. Tea, what else? What? The Word of God, all right, I like it. What else? Water. <laughs> yeah, sounds good right now, actually. Anything else? Non-negotiable. What about your year? I asked some people, and they said, I've got to wash my face every day, like spend some time washing my face. That was what one of my soccer players said. Others said, we have to have a family vacation every year. We just have to do it. And I started asking people, what are just some non-negotiables in your day, some things that you kind of anchor your day around? And there, there were a lot of them. A lot of people have non-negotiables. And um, this morning, I want to talk about non-negotiables, because we arrange our lives around non-negotiables. Some of you arrange your life around coffee. That's a non-negotiable. I cannot believe auto mocha. Every, every morning, the, in my driveway is, when you turn into the antique mall, right there, if you go down three houses, that's where we live. And there are days where the traffic is backed up so far, I can't even pull in. I'm like, there's like 30 cars there. They're wrapped around the backside. I'm like, who would wait an hour for, for some coffee? Anyone in here would wait an hour for some coffee? Okay, I see you're being honest. I like it. But it's a non-negotiable for so many people. And we have non-negotiables, and we arrange our lives around those non-negotiables. So I want to talk about arranging our lives around Jesus today. See, there was a story I heard a while back, and there was a cattle farmer in Australia. And this cattle farmer <clears throat> had tons of land, tons of land. And he had a guest show up one day, and, and he looked, and he looked at all the cattle. And he looked as far as he could see, and he could see zero fences 
And he, he went to the cattle farmer and he says, I noticed that, you know, and I can see all your land here, but I, you, have, you have no fences here. How do you keep the cattle from wandering off when there are no fences? And the cattle farmer looked at him and he said, you see that hole over there? And he goes, yeah. He goes, that's a well. And there's water in that well. And it is the only water source for miles And the cattle know that it's the only water source. And so they stay close to it. They arrange their lives around the well. And so this cattle farmer, he was not a fence builder. He was a well digger. And he would dig wells, and he knew the cattle would stay by the well. That's what Jesus was. Jesus was a well digger. You see, when you build fences, they divide. It's easy when you have a fence to label someone on the outside, but we're on the inside. There's an overemphasis on I'm right and you're wrong. People often don't feel welcomed when there's a fence. I remember going to Seattle, and um, there were these huge bison on the side of the road before Cleelum. And I wanted to take a picture of them. So I got out and I remember walking up and I had my camera in my hand. And I reached out and I touched the fence and it was an electric fence. And I could just feel the voltage going through my body. And if that wasn't bad enough, and I was just going to orient myself to the, you know, trying to get my camera up, I did it a second time. I grabbed it twice. You'd think the first time I would have clued in. But you see, the fence was not only to keep the bison from leaving, but it was also to keep me from going in. And it's so easy in our world to build fences instead of wells. But Jesus, he was a well digger. And not only was he a well digger, but he was the living water. The only true source of water that will satisfy the thirst. And some of you are going, man, you need some water. I think I will. But we all organize our lives around non-negotiables. But Jesus, as a well digger, he was able to allow people to not be stuck on the outside, but he actually brought them to the well. He would remove the boundaries and he would bring people in. He created bridges instead of fences. And that's why so many people struggled with Jesus. Because after all, Jesus, why are you sitting down with sinners? Why are you hanging out with prostitutes? Why are you hanging out with people that are, that are doing terrible things? It's because he was a well digger. And he came for the sick, not the well. And he calls us to do the same. And those cattle, they oriented their life around that well. And that is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. See, Jesus, the well digger, is worthy of our absolute devotion. He's worthy of it. He is worthy of us arranging our life around him. And so this morning, I want to read for you about some people in this text who arrange their lives around some things. In John chapter 12, there's several characters in this story, and you can see them begin to arrange their lives around things. 
I remember as a, a young teenager, um, I really felt like I had a lot of fence builders in my life. There were people that kept me on the outside. I remember going to youth group and never really feeling accepted inside the circle. I remember going and I would hear people just laughing and talking and joking around, and I remember trying to enter into those conversations, but a fence would go up. And then one day, there was a gentleman, his name was Mike Renner, he's since passed away. I was a freshman, he was a senior, and he wasn't a fence builder. He didn't put up a fence to keep me out. As a matter of fact, he was a well digger, and he dug a well, and he invited me to come drink from it. He said, I'm going to go to a concert in Grand Coulee. Would you like to go with me? He's a senior. I'm a freshman. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I have no friends. Count me in. And so he drove me all the way to Grand Coulee, and we went to this concert. It was an evangelist, and he spoke. And I heard and understood for the first time that Jesus loved me unconditionally. And he would accept me, my flaws, my warts, my sin, and everything. He would accept me and he would forgive me. He'd give me grace. Mike Renner dug a well that night and I drank from that well. I drank the living water. His name was Jesus. And 35 years later, I'm still drinking out of that same well. Jesus is my living, my living water. And I have arranged my whole life around him. That's why I'm up here today. I'm up here because Jesus called me to be here. And I felt that he was worthy of arranging my whole life around. So that what I thought I would do as a career, I ended up not doing. Because I recognized that it wasn't worthy of me arranging my life around, but only Jesus is truly worthy of arranging your whole life around. And so as we look at this text today, let's look at some people who arrange their lives around some very different areas. Here we go. John chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? But he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he held the, held the money box, and he used to take what he put into it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but listen, that they might see Lazarus. Remember last week we talked about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. 
That was a costly move for Jesus. It was as if he signed his own death warrant on that day. Because the religious leaders now knew that they had to do something. And so they came, all these people came because they wanted to see this man who had been raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death on account of him. Many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. We always arrange our lives around that which we deem most valuable. Hear that, let it sink in. We always arrange our lives around that which we deem most values. The Bible says that where your treasure is, your heart is going to be also. Our devotion and our arranging of our lives determine what our treasure is. In other words, you can say, I'm devoted to my wife, but if you're not faithful, Are you devoted to her? You can say, I'm devoted to my kids, but if you never spend time with them, are you? You can say, I'm devoted to my church, but if you don't serve or you rarely go, then are you really? Are you devoted to your work if you don't care about how excellent your job is? So many things we say that we're devoted to, but when you really look at our actions, are we? And see, the thing is, we know what someone believes, not by what they say, but by actually what they do. We know what they believe, not by what they say, but by what they do. So let's look at these characters in this scripture. Let's first look at the chief priests. What did they arrange their lives around? They arranged their lives around keeping their power. They wanted to keep their power. They loved the prestige. They loved being thought of as these great men. They loved the power. And they hated that Jesus was stripping away that power. Their followers were beginning to divide. Some of them were actually following Jesus now. And they hated it. And so they were willing to arrange their lives around killing Lazarus. They began to strategize. And we read in John, as we've been reading through the Gospel of John, we see several instances where they went aside and they strategized how they can break up this movement. They were willing to capture and kill Jesus by paying Judas. In other words, they were willing to pay money Do you hear this? Resources. They were arranging their lives around killing Jesus and killing Lazarus, even to the point of paying money for it. They incited the crowd to release Barabbas, a known murderer. They're spending time, energy, mental thought. They're strategizing. They're spending their resources all around killing Judas, or killing Lazarus, and killing Jesus. They met with Roman leaders to coerce them into killing Jesus. The chief priests were arranging their lives around keeping their power. Oh man, I, I don't think it takes a whole lot of 
of insight to look at our world today and say there's a lot of people that are arranging their lives around keeping power. So many people want power. And these chief priests were no different. Willing to kill, to murder, to lie, to be hypocrites just around keeping their power. But that's not the only characters we see here. We see Judas. He arranged his life around money. That's his passion. That was his, his goal. You know, he willingly and secretly stole from the money box. Do you know what the money box was for? The money box was when people would give to Jesus' ministry, they would put it in this box and they would feed the poor. They would take care of the needy. Judas could care less about that. All he cared about was money. Says he was a thief. And he held the money box. And so he would take from it. He would steal. He collaborated with the religious leaders to help them capture Jesus for a few pieces of silver. Because he arranged his life around money. He was willing to lead a mob to Jesus in a garden that he knew Jesus would go to because Jesus was a man of prayer. And he knew that every night that Jesus was in Jerusalem, he'd be in this garden praying. And so he knew exactly where to take this mob. And he was willing to do it. He was willing to strategize with these religious leaders. He was willing to sell out Jesus for a few pieces of silver. He was willing to arrange his life around the love of money. And sure enough, he showed up with a mob ready to take Jesus. And what does Judas do? He betrays Jesus with a kiss. He betrays his Lord, the one who gave him purpose, the one that called him, the one that gave him dignity. He betrayed him with a kiss. He arranged his life around the wrong thing. And how do we know that he arranged his life around the wrong thing? Because when it was all said and done and he got his money, he recognized that he had betrayed innocent blood. He recognized he had blown it. He recognized he had done all of this for money, which was not ever going to satisfy him. Instead of loving the well and the living water, he sold out for a few pieces of silver. And he went back and in shame, he threw it down and he says, I've betrayed innocent blood. Instead of going back to Jesus, who would have most surely forgiven him, it says that he went out and he hung himself. He loved money. And he was willing to sell Jesus out. He was willing to arrange his life around money. Chief priests and religious leaders arranged their life around keeping power. Judas arranged his life around money. And Jesus talks a lot about money. As a matter of fact, it's probably the thing he talks most about. And it's so easy to orient our life 
around money. But there's another character. Jesus arranged his life around people. He loved people. I mean, the whole gospel of John, as we've been studying it, is around Jesus loving people. John chapter 1, it says he left heaven. He left the unbroken fellowship of the Trinity. And it says that he was a light that shone in the darkness. What does it mean to shine in the darkness? See, if I'm shining into the darkness, that means I'm up here and I'm shining a light into the darkness. But I'm not risking anything because I'm still safe. But that's not what Jesus did. He went into the darkness and he shone inside of the darkness. He left the glory of the Trinity, the glory of heaven, and he became man to suffer with us. To know what it's like to be tired to know what it's like to have pain, to know what it's like to get older, to know what it's like to be betrayed, to know what it's like to have someone say they love you and then stab you in the back. Jesus did all of that because he loves people and he arranged his life around the love of people. Remember he saved a groom from being embarrassed at a wedding when they ran out of wine. And Jesus knew as soon as he did that miracle, he was throwing his, his glove down. The gauntlet was going to be played. He was crossing the Rubicon. He was going to fight against the forces of darkness. And yet he still did it. He made wine at a wedding because it would have been an embarrassment for that groom to have run out of wine. But he did it because he arranged his life around people. He loved people. He confronted the greedy, the religious leaders, the money changers, knowing that when he did it, it would be at a great cost to himself eventually. And then remember when he went to Samaria? He never had to go to Samaria. He could have went straight north and, and followed the Jordan River, but he didn't. It says he went through Samaria, and he went through Samaria because there was a woman there. She was an outcast. But he loved people, and so he arranged his life around people. He healed the lame man on the Sabbath, knowing what that would mean to the religious leaders. He healed the man born blind. And when he did that, and the man was healed, the religious leaders started persecuting this man. As a matter of fact, his parents even rejected him. His neighbors rejected him. But Jesus arranged his life around people. And so he went and he found that man born blind. And he loved him. Jesus arranged his life around people. He wept with Mary and Martha when their brother died. Oh, he knew he was going to heal him. But he wept with them. He wept with the people because he loves people. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. And when he did that, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, you have to understand, when he did that, he knew that that miracle was going to be his death sentence. That miracle would be his death sentence. But he did it. He loves people. And then there's Mary. 
Mary arranged her life around Jesus. And that's our call. He is worthy of arranging your life around. The chief priests arranged their life around keeping power. Judas arranged his life around greed. Jesus arranged his life around us, you and me, people. But Mary, Mary arranged her life around Jesus. Number one, she spent time with him. She spent time with him. It says, as Jesus, and this is in earlier in John, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? And then she decides to tell God what to do. Tell her to help me. Here's what Jesus said. Martha, Martha. And he didn't say it twice. It's just emphasis. Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary, you want to arrange your life around Jesus? Follow what Mary did. Mary spent time with Jesus. She sat at his feet. Why, why are we doing this united in prayer? Every weekday morning at 8 o'clock on our Christ Center Facebook page, different ones of us are leading a time of prayer. The reason we're doing this is because it's so important for us to pray together, but it's so important for us to spend time with Jesus, just like Mary did. Tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, I'll be talking about how you pray when there's darkness around you. But the reason that we're doing that is because we want you to spend time with Jesus. And we want to give you tools to do that. And so I encourage you, 8 o'clock this next week, tune in, face our Christ Center Facebook page. And you can go there even after 8 o'clock and, and it'll still be on the feed. And you can join us. But they say, the, the scientists say that if you pray for 12 minutes a day for 8 weeks they can actually tell on your brain scans that you've done that. That's crazy. God is real. Jesus is worthy of arranging your life around. Mary chose the great thing. She, she spent time at his feet. And we, I believe we're all called. God is a calling for all of us. Mary had a calling but remember this little axiom. It's always who before the do. It's not as much what you do for Jesus, it's who you are. He is more interested and concerned with who you become than everything you do. It always takes precedent. That's why in Ephesians, it says, walk worthy of your calling. It's who you are before the do. Honor God 
with your time. If you honor God with your time, he will honor us with his voice. Boy, this is so good. If you just take some time to spend with the Lord, he will speak to you. So Mary chose to arrange her life around Jesus. She spent time with him, but that's not all. Mary chose to pour, not to store. Listen to this. This this perfume that she got was not just this cheap perfume. It was actually derived from a plant that that people would get in India. And they would work this plant into a a resin or a, a harder substance. And then they would break it down and they would convert it into perfume. And it was expensive. And she took enough that would equal about a year's salary. That's what she took. She went in and she got her basin of perfume. A year's salary. She chose to pour, not to store. She gave out. She was a giver. She was generous. What a great lesson for us. Imagine she took all of that, what would have been the equivalent of a year's worth of salary, and she poured it out on the feet of Jesus. You you didn't pour this on the feet of anyone. You poured it on their heads. But she poured it on his feet. How beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. It was a prophetic act. And she poured it out on his feet. Can you imagine taking a year's salary, just dumping it out on someone? And that's what she did. She believed, she so believed in Jesus, she so trusted Jesus, she was so willing to arrange her life around Jesus that she believed if she did this, he would take care of her. You know, Tim talked about the fish and the loaves a few weeks back. As long as they kept the fish and the loaves, it was only two fish and five loaves. But as soon as they gave, God multiplied it. He multiplied it. And that's the way God is. As long as you store, you have what you have. But when you pour, God multiplies it. And it's just like our tithe When we tithe, that's God's. It's his. That 10% is his. It's not ours that we're giving. It's us trusting and giving it back to him. And we do it every week to our local church. We give that 10% away. But what is a storehouse? A storehouse is above and beyond your tithe. It's when you choose to set money aside so that you can be generous. And it is one of the few places in scriptures that God commands a blessing is on the storehouse. And I'm going to tell you, I've been, I've been tithing since I was a teenager, and God has been faithful. But when I started setting aside extra money, putting it into a storehouse, God started multiplying that storehouse so I could be even a better and more generous giver. You see, Mary chose to pour, not to store. Are you a giver? And I don't just mean with your money but with your time. See, Judas had a scarcity mindset. 
He had a hoarding mindset, but Mary chose to pour while Judas chose to store. And this morning, think about your life. Think about, am I a giver? Because this act that Mary did spoke for centuries, millennia, so that even today I'm speaking about it. Are you living a life of generosity? Are you giving? Are you a giving person? Mary oriented her life around Jesus. Are you orienting your life around Jesus? I I am so thankful for this church. In the last month, we've had five people come to Jesus. Yeah, you can clap if you want, because that's good news. Five people come to Jesus. It happened because you gave. It happened because you gave. A few weeks back, someone was needed some equipment or they weren't going to be able to do school athletics. We were able to buy that equipment. That happened because you gave. We gave thousands of dollars to the Bridgeport Brewster area during the fires because this church is faithful givers. I could go on and on and on. And I want to just say as your pastor, I am so thankful for you. You are some of the most generous people I know. When Nespelum, we heard that they were struggling and that there were going to be kids that didn't get Christmas gifts, we bought everyone that needed it a Christmas gift. This church did that. I just want to say thank you for being faithful givers. God is pleased. And as we conclude this morning, I want you to think about one thing. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Jesus was, I want you to just really think about this. Jesus was getting ready to head into the worst week of his life. He was getting ready to go into a week where he would have to face off against the religious leaders. He was getting ready to go into a week where he would have one of his closest friends betray him. He was getting ready to go into a week where all of his disciples would desert him. They would leave him. They would run He was getting ready to go into a week in which he would be tortured. He was getting ready to go into a week where the sin of the world was going to be dumped on him. Can you imagine Jesus who knew what it was like to be pain-free, who knew what it was like to, to be in love incarnate in the relationship that he had with the Trinity, Can you imagine Jesus gave all that up and he's getting ready to walk into the worst week of his life because he loves you and he arranged his life around people. And then here's Mary. While Judas is saying, hey, she shouldn't have done that. We should have given it to the poor and he didn't care about the poor. While the religious leaders are plotting how to kill Jesus, What does Mary do? Mary takes that costly perfume and she dumps it on his feet. Feet that would begin to walk into the Passion Week. Feet that are about to be nailed to a cross. Feet that are going to have to be staggering just to carry a cross. 
She dumped it on the feet of one in whom he would be beaten so bad, historians say he was almost unrecognizable. And yet, I believe that in the midst of all of that, as he was walking through this week, he could smell the perfume. He could smell the perfume that was dumped on his feet. That while his close friend is stabbing him in the back and his disciples are all running and he's being taken before this joke of a a court, as he's being beaten with a cat of nine tails and it's ripping flesh off his back, as he's going through all of this, he could smell that perfume. That perfume that says, someone loves me. Someone loves me. Someone was willing to sacrifice so much just to put that perfume on my feet. As hard as that week was, Mary, I believe, made it easier for Jesus to go through what he went through. And the Bible says in Ephesians that we, when we serve others, when we love other people, that we're a sweet fragrance to God. Do you know that just like Mary poured that perfume out on the feet of Jesus, that when you love others, when you are a well digger and not a fence builder, that you are a sweet fragrance to Jesus. And so as we head into this week, just arrange your life around Jesus. Spend time with him. Choose to be generous and love people. Love people unconditionally, just like Jesus did. And when you do that, you will be that sweet fragrance before the Lord. Just bow your heads for a minute, would you? Jesus, we just thank you for today. Thank you for the story of Mary of Bethany who spent time with you, who chose to pour, not to store, and who poured out expensive perfume on your feet that that would be a sweet fragrance to you as you went through a horrific week. Jesus, empower us to do the same this week, to live our lives in such a way that we are a sweet fragrance to you. Jesus, thank you for enduring that week, for dying on the cross, enduring the pain and the shame and the suffering, for the joy that was set before you, people. Maybe you're here today and you've never heard about a Savior that loves you so much that he died for you. He lured all your oppressors, he lured all your accusers into the tomb. And he took your sin in there as well. And he defeated all of it. So that you could be free and one day live with him in pure joy, in pure love for eternity. If that's you today and you say, hey, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus, I'd just like you to slip your hand up and then down. If that's you today, you want to make that call. On. Anyone else want to make that decision today? Maybe you're watching online or you're listening at some other time. Just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I give you my life.
and I give you my heart. Thank you for suffering and dying for me on the cross. I believe in you and I choose to follow you. Thank you for your grace. I choose to live for you the rest of my days. If you prayed that prayer, maybe just type I believe in the chat or come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to just visit with you for a moment. God, thank you. Empower us today to be your servants, to be that sweet fragrance, to love others, to dig some wells this week. In your precious name, and everyone said, amen. Let's stand and worship.